What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. gentlemen it's the first ESSR podcast you're hearing in 2021 and it's East meets West the Wrestle Kingdom preview 2020 was altogether a shit year for a lot of us but 2021 is going to kick off in style it's going to have the two best nights in New Japan's calendar if not one wrestling's calendar as Wrestle Kingdom 15 both nights are going to be broken down we're going to talk about all the matches give you our predictions I am Scott McLean, my usual host, joined as always by Grant McRobbie. Pleasure to be on again, Scott. And yeah, what a, what a way to start the year. Christmas for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. We've been talking about it a lot, like speculation, what's going to happen. We talked about some other matches that got set up in our last episode after the uh, World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors. But now everything has been announced. It left it late enough that it looks like all the cards has been uh, finalised, so all I've left to do is dive into it, but before we do, uh, I want to talk about the Wrestle Kingdom uh, attendance this year, as also that's going to be very different, obviously people, we've been doing like third of capacity for most venues, and that's going to be very different for the Tokyo Dome, a very large arena, I've heard stories that apparently the uh, number of tickets sold is starting to be capped off at around 5,000 for each night, and uh, there's been stories about people being, still being very hesitant to, to go out and attend shows during uh, the current climate. So it looks like, because of the limited amount of tickets and the social distancing, the crowd's not going to look very much the same come Tokyo Dome. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's crazy, because I mean, I've seen different reports. The most common one I've seen is given a bit of a higher number, which the Apparently got a cap of twenty thousand per day, but they think they might only get twelve to fifteen thousand, according to some places. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, how that will translate on screen, I have no idea. It's going to be a different atmosphere, but the card itself is no less spectacular than what you would expect from a Wrestle Kingdom card. Yeah, I mean, it's not a comment on the card. It's basically them trying to follow the rules as best they can. 
I'm hoping it's somewhere between twelve and twenty thousand because like it's uh, Tokyo Dome can hold like a maximum of around forty thousand, and so trying to spread around five thousand people. I mean, even just putting people around about the the lower part of the the arena, which I think they all think a lot of people who get tickets will be on the floor with a few people on the on the upper decks, but kind of the higher bits of the Tokyo Dome, I think they'll be left bare and like curtained off. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of similar to when we were at Fear and Loathing the last time with mm-hmm. ICW and it was in the Hydro and, you know, you could see huge bits were cardoned off. It was a, like an arena that can hold 14,000 and you probably got about 2,500 in at that time. Yeah, a lot of people were on the floor just kind of just above that. So I think hopefully by risking a 16, we'll have a, a fuller attendance, but I think they're just taking the necessary precautions they need for this time. Uh, We'll get into the match. We're basically breaking them down as they go, as they're listed on New Japan's uh, website in order of the car we're going through. And we talked about potential, like how, what are the rules regarding the KOPW title and starting a new champion? Is that going to be part of Wrestle Kingdom? And New Japan have answered us by announcing the uh, the New Japan Rumble, uh, which is basically going to be like a mini Rumble with 22 entrants. Entrance can be eliminated by pinfall submission or over the top rope. It's going to be take place on night one. The last four men remaining are going to carry on to a fatal four way on night two, uh, and the winner of that will be the uh, KOPW twenty twenty one provisional champion. We'll be defending that title up until the end of the year, where we have our King of Pro Wrestling for twenty twenty one. But before we talk about this match, we need to talk about the official King of Pro Wrestling for twenty twenty. It's none other grant than Toriano. <laughs> Yes, he is. He has officially got the title of the King of Pro Wrestling. That <laughs> final match to properly cement it against Fally. I mean, I'm, well, let's face it. We know I'm not a big fan of, of Fally. Like, it, it, he's not the same as what he used to be. But my God, that match was hilarious. Yeah, the uh, Road Two shows. I didn't really check out a lot of them, but uh, the last three that were televised, I'll take the last one. A few matches from there, mainly because I wanted to see uh, this match between Fally and Yano. This is kind of the, the first half main event. Uh, so the, the stipulations were uh, Valley wanted a, a body slam challenge, but Yano wanted to either be went to be both. He can either win by body slam or removing all four corner pads. So Yano's won one out, so he can either slam them or take off the, the corner pads. And I think it became was, it was apparent that basically you didn't have to be taking them all off at once. You basically just whoever takes off the last one wins, but you know, I, I thought this was very entertaining, this should have been the main event, this should have been the final image we saw of New Japan in 2020, is this because, like, yeah, General constantly taking the, f- the first three corner pads off, he tried to take the other one off, he got attacked and then Chase Owen started retying it so he had to start over when he tried to undo it, but then eventually the thing I never thought would happen, you know actually managed to slam Fally I was in absolute hysterics. I think it was like Fally struggling to get him up and then realising that underneath his robe he had the backpack which had a, sa- a bag of sand in it. That was hilarious. I know. I, watching Kevin Kelly as well, just like, well, I've heard of people being sandbagged in wrestling, but this is just taking it too far. <laughs> it was pure gold. Like It was just that, between that and like spraying Fally with like his disinfectant outside the ring and that, it's like, just like, Yano's got all the tricks. I know. Uh, it just it's just the, the simplest things where made all the difference. Like yeah, like adding the extra weight so he couldn't be body slammed, and then somehow managing to slam 
uh, Farley and Third doesn't have to take off the final corner pad. But the, the twenty the provisional trophy still got smashed at the end, but yeah, I know it's given a slightly bigger trophy, which I think looks better than the provisional trophy. As the de- declaration of uh, like you're the twenty twenty king of pro wrestling, so he carried that away. But still took away the little the little shattered pieces of the uh, the provisional trophy that had been broken up by Farley. I know. I mean, that's like what what a nice ending, like for for Gano to kind of come out at the end of the year with with an accolade which was new and completely different. <laughs> yeah, and so like you guys think we're going to look at both uh, nights of this, where or you look at the who we think is going to be the the final four uh, on night one to go over to night two, and then we're going to try and predict two of those. Can we see walking out with it? I think. Uh, it was the four. Like, there's no entrance have been announced here. I don't think they're going to really announce anybody until the night. Uh, I definitely think that Iano's definitely going to be in the four. He's going to be a fixture of that division. He's going to be like our truth is to the twenty four seven division. I, mean, I think I think that would be a reasonable conclusion to say Iano's going to find a way to 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 keep himself in there. The other three, there's so many possibilities. I mean, we've got twenty two folk coming in. We don't know who they are even trying to break it down of all the people that aren't involved in other matches and who would be credible. Um, I've kind of thought two people I might see in the final four would be Ishii and Sho, just for a bit of variety in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the best thing they could do with this is mix it up to the kind of people who are going to be the initial fleet of four where we had the uh, Crown of Champion, we had Desperado, Sanada, uh, Okada and Yano. so Definitely, yeah, I know he's going to find his way in. It's just a case of speculating who he's going to be in there with. I'd like to see uh, Suzuki in this match. To one, to think of the kind of stipulations he would think of uh, if he was the champion, and also the idea of him and Yano being a wrestle kind of match for a title and just the kind of interactions those two would have in the four way. Oh God, like Suzuki's stipulations would be something terrifying. Probably someone you. You've got you actually die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, we could even get some surprise returns here, because like, I think they, they did tease the, the potential surprise for this. But do you think it would be if Yano does go through to night two? Do you think uh, he should regain the title again and like continue the work he's been doing, or do you think we should get somebody, somebody new to, uh, to hold the provisional trophy for now? I, I think I would like to see it go with Yano I think would be actually a brilliant one because there's so many ways that he could play the stipulations he seems to have quite a creative mind for it and you know he's always got some sort of shenanigans so I would not complain at seeing him being at, for the, at least the start of things and see how far he can take it mm-hmm. Yeah I think obviously he'll, he'll be a multiple time champion I think multiple time holder of that, that particular trophy uh, so you can, like, I think they'll still have plenty of things they can do. They even only scratch the surface of what they can do. I'm just trying to think who else they can do. Maybe put Bushy in, somebody for LIG, somebody who Yano's had issues with. I think it's Bushy who Yano beat to get into the four way from Jingu Stadium. Uh, and now that I've suggested Suzuki, even though he probably won't even be in it, I just want to see Suzuki with that uh, match basically. Just, yeah, looking at things, you'd, it would basically just be like Suzuki. Suggested that basically this matches to the death. <laughs> I mean, it would definitely be something nuts. I mean, when you look at the whole card, you've also got a bunch of the older guys that could possibly be interesting in, in there, like the likes of Nagata 
or mm-hmm. Honma could make some sort of impact in it as something different. I, I have no idea where they're going to go with this. It's so fresh, and I, I think that's actually quite an exciting part about it. Yeah, maybe I'd like to see David Finley go through to the four-way. You know, give him something to do now that uh, Juice is out. If uh, Kojima wasn't in the spot, we're going to talk about later on. I would have seen him as one of the veterans you mentioned, but uh, he's got someone else to do at Wrestle Kingdom. But you know, all we can really do is speculate. We're not really uh, sure who's going to be in it. We'll just have to wait and see and be perfectly surprised uh, when it comes. So we'll move on to the next match for Wrestle Kingdom, uh, Night 1, which is going to carry over to Night 2 as well, where it's going to be uh, the winner of the best of Super Juniors, Hiromu Takahashi, taking on the Super J Cup winner, El Fantasmo. Find out who's going to go on to night two to face junior heavyweight champion Taiji Ishimori. Now, I think some people would be like thinking, "Oh, this result's obvious." I still think there's a possibility for them to swerve us, uh, but either way, this is going to be a, a hell of a match. And I was like, "Holy hell!" They're opening with that match as like kind of like the part of the main card, and that is going to be an absolute barnstormer. Like the. The way they're building this one up, I think you're right. I think they could serve us. Um, I'm not making the, the obvious prediction that Haruma's going to win yet because El Fantasmo is a complete wild card in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could always tease ascension and bullet club between Fantasmo and Ishimori you know, being former junior tag champs if, if Fantasmo's the one that goes through because he's been a while since he's actually been in Japan. Uh, they even said he was even at the, the Brisbane and Press Conference because he had to isolate, given the fact he's now coming over from America into Japan for, for this show. Uh, I think between this and uh, the matches regarding the IWGP Heavy and Intercontinental Champions, I think uh, the one that they're more likely to swear with in is the, the world title one, so I think there's a chance it's more likely that Hiromo will be the one to go through. But even then, I don't think it's going to be just so simple. Like, I think it'll be very similar to like the Desperado match, where they can put together such a, a clash between the two that the can almost convince you Phantasmo might go through and but, well, be surprised when Hiromo wins. And then I think, I mentioned before, Hiromo beating Ishimori can continue just this long-going story that I think they're going to continue for a long time to come between those two, basically fighting over the position as ace of the junior division. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at it, like Ishimori taking the belt off Hiromo at the time, was to me it was a big shock because of how well Hiromu was getting built on his like return from injury the match at Wrestle Kingdom last year with Osprey and stuff like that. So, you know, this is one of those things that Japan like they have been quite unpredictable to me at points in the last few months. So like whatever way this match goes down, the one thing we're guaranteed is for an opener match it is going to be fast paced hell for leather. Mm-hmm. Also what's quite impressive is that I think the the Rambo is like the pre-show kind of match, whereas this is kind of like the opener of the main card. Whereas when you look at night two, the, when the winner goes on to face Ishimori, I believe they're running about the semi-main spot, which is a, a great spot for the junior heavyweight title to be in, which I think is gives me slightly more confidence that Hiromu is going to go through to night two, given that he's been in the mix with heavyweights this past year, with uh, like the match against Evil at Sengoku Lord and the fact he was in the New Japan Cup. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, Hiromu's had a, a, a hell of a run, like, after coming back. And the other thing to bear in mind as well, they've, they've mentioned this a few times, which makes me wonder if it's going to be a curveball finally. It's that every year, 
the junior belt changes hands at Wrestle Kingdom without fail? Could this be the first time it doesn't? Potentially, you know, uh, we had like both of them won their first title at Wrestle Kingdom uh, from Kishida, which is something they have in kind of in common. But like, there's always possibility said for a swerve. Uh, and I also think there's possibility for shenanigans in this next match that we're going to talk about. It's the Gorillas of Destiny, the World Tag League winners, taking on Dangerous Techers, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles. And it's a very rare heel-v-heel match, but like, we got a little taste of it during World Tag League where the like, first five minutes were built, like, outside of the ring. And so like you got Dangerous Techers who are, aren't strangers to like, taking... Like the low shortcuts, whereas you've got Girls of Destiny who have got Shadow on the outside, so you never quite know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I mean that's this one. I reckon this could be a low key banger. This the like the chemistry that both these teams have, um, with God have always been pretty much the benchmark in New Japan's tag division for the last few years. Um, so Saber and Taichi have got a, a quite the task ahead of them trying to hold on to the gold against those brothers because it's going to be something special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you could have Dangerous Tigers win because you already did one part of the prophecy of uh, G.O.D. where they won World Tag League and now there's the other part where they said, oh, they've never won at the Tokyo Dome. And like, it doesn't seem like they're ever going to really go anywhere else. They like, seem comfortable in, in New Japan for now. So you could always come back to this next year and we don't have much New Japan love their multi-year stories. But for me, I'd, I'd like to see them as the champs again because it feels fresher now because like, it's actually felt like so long since they've last been champions when they, they lost back in uh, February last year to uh, the Golden Aces. So I think it's the longest time in ages that they've not been the champions. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Um, you've got to wonder how different things could have played out for them if it wasn't for the whole pandemic situation. But, you know, G.O.D., if they go back to the top, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, fingers crossed, praying for this one. I keep praying for this and it never happens, but my bold prediction would be G.O.D. to win and outcome the Good Brothers. Oh, that is an ambitious one, you know. I mean, we were hoping for Motley to be back by the Tokyo Dome and that's not uh, happening. But, you know, who's to say this won't happen? You know, when Good Brothers are Team with Kenny Omega currently in Impact and he's from AEW so you know it seems like the good bills can go wherever the hell they want so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happen I also think now that just Robinson's injured I think once uh, he's healthy he and uh, David Finlay Finches and G.O.D. will renew hostilities so you know it's starting to feel like the entire division's starting to feel quite fresh again Yeah it's, it's the first time the tag division's kind of had that boost in a while it was because um, for a while, I'll, I'll be honest, they kind of to an extent played out the uh, the matchups of Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi against the Golden Aces. That that one, I felt like yeah. I watched that too many times. So if they can keep some of these new encounters a bit more fresh and a bit more space between them by having these bodies back in the division, whoever's at the top, I'm happy with either of these teams continuing being the top one. Because uh, like, yeah, like they really played out that God that uh, Golden Aces versus Dangerous Techers like, during the summer. Like I think when we got to like uh, Summer for going to New Stadium, I was like, please, never again. Don't give me these two teams against each other ever again. Like, the road two shows they were doing, buddy, 
eight and six man or eight man tags where they're on opposite ends. So they really drove that into the ground. So it's nice to see somebody else find uh, junior checkers and uh, also I'd love to see a rematch between the two teams after this, regardless of what happens. But I mentioned that Just uh, Robinson is injured and that cost him a potential match that he was meant to have against Kenta as given that John Mox is still not here to defend the title and he can't get his opportunity. He's defending his right to challenge uh, briefcase for the US title. Uh, it wasn't anyway against Just Robinson after uh, he interfered uh, the World Tigers went on that moment. It made me jump up and down like a girl at the possibility because I mentioned it before. But uh, one of the road two shows, he suffered an orbital bone injury. So almost as soon as they announced the match, the match had to be cancelled. And then uh, night two, so the final night of road two, Satoshi Kojima after a match where he and Hanari lost to Jay White and, and Kenta. Uh, he basically challenged Kenta like, well, you can be an opponent for Wrestle Kingdom. I'll fight you. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was quite, like, out of all the things they could have went for, I was not expecting that. So it's a complete unpredictable. But at the same time, I'm willing to give it a chance. I think it could be quite an interesting match. Um, even though I'm getting annoyed that this briefcase has been defended more times than the US belt itself. <laughs> it basically is, yeah. I mean, uh, like we already went through a, like two briefcases at this point where the L1 got so damaged from uh, Kenta hitting people with it, he had to get a new one. I think how many briefcases are we going to go through until John Moxley comes back? But uh, you have Kojima, who I think like, he had a really good match with... Uh, with, uh, Desperado when they did that qualifier for the KOPW 2020 and I think this is going to be the latest sleeper hit of the night where people aren't really going to be excited much basically because like Kojima's like he's mainly been doing tag matches for most of this year he wasn't in the G1 he went out the first round of the New Japan Cup uh, he's a bit older and so also given the fact that he's a replacement for the original opponent he's probably not going to win but I think this will be like the sleeper hit of the night will surprise a lot of people uh, how good at the matches because like I didn't have uh, there was so much going on last year I wasn't really thinking that much about Kenta versus Goto and then that match uh, ended up being one of my favourite night favourite matches of Risking the Fortune with that never open weight match but I think this right to challenge match could be uh, like again like I said the surprise of night one yeah I mean definitely it's not a, it's not a match to sleep on um, Kenta's had a Fantastic year for just producing some absolute banging matches. His hard hitting style blends well with Kojima's as well. So I mean, I I reckon you could be right. You know, it's and you know we're talking about like sort of the amount of matches. Doesn't feel like there's any filler this year compared to uh-huh. like last year. We had we had a ton of multi man tag matches. This time it just feels like everything's straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like you had three. Like multi-mentality, one of them you could understand because you had it was part of Jason Liger's retirement, but then you had like two matches that were like that not like the previous for like the Red Pro and like never made title matches that were going to happen on night two. They just didn't need to be there, and I thought like because like it wasn't until like the fourth match on the card where like the tag titles were on the line that it probably felt like Wrestle Kingdom. So I think the fact that uh, COVID has actually helped Wrestle Kingdom in this way because they've had to like limit the amount of matches you can have on each night and like you said it's, it's gone rid of a lot of the filler and even if like this match isn't as good as the other matches on night one 
I think it'll still be quality and like it'll be that case of like it's not a bad match, it's just not as good. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I think I think the outcome though feels possible compared to other matches. This one to me feels obvious. I, I don't see Kent a drop in that briefcase. Yeah, not yet. Like because I think they wouldn't have him go through all this trouble and not get his opportunity. Uh, I do think after the match they will make some sort of announcement regarding the US belt because I think once they kind of retains, he'll get on the the mic and basically demand like where the hell is Moxley? Like why are you not here? This is the biggest show of uh, the year. You're not here to defend the US belt. Uh, and also you can maybe you can bring up the same point you just made. Like I've defended this briefcase more times this past year than you've defended that belt. So, so hopefully they can make some sort of announcement. You know they could always surprise us and have Moxley up here. But uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Yeah, I don't think because of the whole rules they've got with people having to isolate when they come in the country. And we know that Moxley was at home for, for Christmas there, so it doesn't give him enough time. Yeah, it could always be like a video message from Moxley to set up a match at New Beginning. And I'd be fine with that. I just want like some sort of confirmation what's actually happening with that belt. Because Moxley won the belt at like Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 uh, in 2020. So like he won it for Lance Archer, defend it the following night, defend it against Suzuki in February, and that's been it. And he's been a champion for a year. And I'm gutted because there was a match that was going to come out in the back of that that we never got, and that was going to be Moxley against Zack Sabre Jr. That would have been belting. I know. I was I was really looking forward to that. You know, we could still get it at some point down the line, but you know, I've sad that we didn't get it when we were meant to. So. I definitely think uh, Kent is winning, and I'm sure you agree with me. Uh, move on to... Uh, actually, we've got a couple of special singles matches across the wrestling. We've got three. Two of them are on uh, night one. The first one being uh, one of the big matches for the Empire. We have Great Okan taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi in a special singles match. Uh, so does this... This is just me that felt like this guy came out of nowhere. They thought, well, we need a spot for Great Okan. Let's put him against Tanahashi. He's not doing anything. Yeah, I mean, it almost felt kind of random. But at the same at the same time, I think they're trying to make a big deal out of this whole the Empire business, whatever it is going to be in the long term. And Tanahashi seems to be quite a common target for people coming back from excursion, like when Jay White mm-hmm. done it a couple of years back. Yeah, so they've got precedent here. And like Bullet Club across both nights is looking to have a potentially a good night. They're in a lot of big matches. I think also this is we've talked about make or break for the Empire. Like you got all three members, like all three male members. You know, if you can't be previously as a member, you got all three male members in a, in a match. And like I said, Okada, he's had a singles match before against Okada. He didn't win that. Uh, it feels like obviously you can't have him in another big singles match against a former champion. Have him lose. Uh, so soon after he lost to Okada and he had such a great World Tag League run but at the same time I think of all three Empire members he's the one more likely to get a loss here Yeah I think they, like, they're definitely building this up as the whole changing of the guard um, Okada's targeting essentially the, the old ace who is they, they kind of sold a lot on that like Tanahashi's knee being made of, made of dust at this rate so mm-hmm. I, I think it's to me, it's a match which I, I know from what's you know, a lot of people that watched Okan's excursion over here, they weren't the biggest fans of him. But me personally, I actually enjoy him. There's something about his 
persona and gimmick that I quite like. The only thing I'm not too keen on is that really daft yellow suit that he wears when he's going to the ring. You could, <laughs> I thought it looked better. It looked better during World Tag League when he kind of switched up to the trunks. I thought that was a much better look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he said like talking about Tanahashi fighting people from his He's got president for this. No, he fought Jay White a couple of years ago. I retained the IC title over uh, Jay White, but then also. Yeah, Okada, like a month after his return from his excursion, he beat Tanashi for the IWGP heavyweight title in 2012, which I don't think anybody at the time thought he was going to do. So, you know, this could go really either way for Tanashi. He's not, like, hesitant about putting people over. And, like, they have been, like, really going heavily in on the, oh, it's Tanashi. Maybe this is really is the time where Tanashi has to consider, like, this is the time to hang it up. But I think somehow... I'm actually I'm hesitant, but I'm going to go with Tanahashi as my prediction here. I mean, it would be a hell of a statement for all three members of the Empire to win their matches and really cement this brand new faction amongst all the other established ones. But um, for now, I'm going to go with Tanahashi as the more established guy, and also the fact that I haven't seen a lot of uh, Okan's rare pro work. Yeah, I can see. I mean, for me, I'm I'm putting my money on on Okan uh, when he left Rev Pro. Uh, Pandemic obviously forced a lot of it, but he he did end his run in Red Pro completely unbeaten. So uh, I'm, that's why I'm backing him. Mm. So you know, this could go either way. You know, maybe they'll surprise us. But another special thing of Matt coming right after it, uh, we have Will Osprey, leader of the Empire, the Red Pro British Heavyweight Champion, taking on Kazuchika Okada. Uh, obviously, this has been built into the G1 final when the Empire formed and Will Osprey betrayed Okada, joined uh, and left Chaos. Uh, like I said, I was talking about how Okada is the least likely to win his match, I think especially because like, Will Osprey is the leader, he betrayed Okada, and I think to establish himself as the leader of a brand new threat, and I think potentially he might be uh, the first challenger forever wins the, the double gold matches on night two. I think Osprey's going to need to win. I think this is going to be a case like Jay White. Okada uh, loses, but down the line he'll get Osprey back like he did with Jay White. Yeah, th- this match is, to me, for the Empire, this is the match that Osprey has to win to make that new stable look like a credible threat. If they don't do that, to me, they're they're essentially doing what happened to Retribution in WWE. You're, you're like really taking the momentum and killing it before it's even had a chance to start. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean Osprey's prom- promo at the press conference, by the way, is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever watched in my life because he just proper put on the whole "I'm from Essex, London, Giza." <laughs> I was just like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> it was hilarious. I, I honestly, I, I, I had to spot pause it a few times because I was just like, "He has just went full out Londoner for this. This is brilliant." <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, I do think you know, like, if you want to establish Osprey as a, a, a threat in the main event of the, of the heavyweight division he needs to, to win this I think he's the most likely of the, the three Empire members to win his match I think if they weren't doing the thing they're doing now with the uh, having the double goal being defended in the main event of both nights of Wrestle Kingdom there's an argument he said that this would have main evented night one even though given obviously everything that happened with Osprey a few months ago and that uh, I still don't think he should have been in a main event, but they're in the same main event, which I think is mainly because Okada is involved. Yeah, definitely. I, I think one thing that surprised me was I, I, 
I would have actually thought Okada would have maybe not just wanted Osprey, but maybe have hinted that he wanted that gold that is still around Osprey's waist at the moment that he claimed last year, that Rev Pro title. Yeah, I could definitely see that because like, we've had it defended in the past. You know, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. has defended it uh, a couple of different times. So uh, there's pressing for that happening. Uh, I think it's weird that it's not on the line, given what you said, but I think maybe that would make it more obvious because I don't think Rare Pro would, would put the belt on Okada if he can't come to the UK to defend it. So maybe they're wanting to uh, create some doubt as to who might win. Yeah, I definitely think you've got a wise call on it there. But I know for me, I think this match looks like Okada and Osprey have had a few encounters now over the last couple of years and there, there's not a single poor effort amongst them. They're they are always outstanding. And I, I think just the fact that Osprey is going to be playing more the pure no other way to say it. It's just been a complete dick heel. <laughs> it's going to make it's going to make this dynamic a lot more like the match. It's going to be completely different from anything they've done before. Yeah, definitely. Like they always deliver. They've got good chemistry. Despite the fact that the majority of their matches up until like their most recent one at the G One, uh, Osprey's been a, a junior and uh, has been the heavyweight. I think this one now has more story than any other matches before, which will create a hell of a difference. Like when we see the way it plays out, and obviously we talked about the way that Okada reacted the G1 final way he went right after Osprey. I think we'll see a lot more aggression from uh, Okada from this time around. And like I said, like, it's weird that the belt's not like I think it would have been a huge coup for Wrestle for uh, Rare Pro to see their belt defended and like to see their champion get one over somebody's caliber of uh, Okada. But uh, I see why they're not doing that. Uh, we're we're not going to talk about. Yeah, the main event of night one, because we're going to cover that when we're talking about night two's main event, the double goal, we're going to cover all that in the one. And so we're going to move along to night two of Wrestle Kingdom 15. Also, we also talked about the Rambo. Uh, she also meant, briefly mentioned Stardom. Once again, they're having uh, some exhibition matches. Probably the show goes on air. It's going to happen. Uh, it's basically as a dark, as dark matches. Nobody's actually going to see them, unfortunately, but it's good for the library. We've got two like tag matches happening, as opposed to just the one match that happened last year. There's not much you really can say about it other than that. It's good to see this working relationship continuing with Stardom as they're owned by the same company as New Japan. Yeah, it, it's nice to see Bushy Road give the the Stardom folk a, a spotlight like that. You know, I mean, in total they've got two matches: a, a six man, a six woman tag, sorry, and then a four woman tag, and some fantastic talent involved like May, Mayu Iwatani. So you know, it's it's one of those things. I wish they recorded them and put them up, like at least put them up later on to watch because I would be very interested in seeing what what, what it produces. Yeah, it's a shame. Like a lot of the we we introduced Stardom to a wider audience if they did, uh, like actually film it and uh, release it. But you know, those are you know they made the decision, and it's a shame. But I think uh, people should try and check out Stardom. I don't really follow it, but you know. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the women that are involved, but we'll go on a night to the main card. We've got the Rambo to kick it off. We've got to wait and see what happens there. But then we've got uh, the Ass Masters, uh, Taguchi and Master One, not their official name, but it's what we've called them, uh, taking on Kanemaru and Desperado for the IWGB Junior Heavyweight Tide Champs. And uh, it kind of feels like it's been set up for, uh, for a while to finally fit into this chapter he's had with Zuguin since he came back at the uh, like maybe his first piece of gold in Egypt, Ben. 
Yeah, this is a match because I, I, I think the official name they've given themselves is uh, Team One to Eight. I still think they should have went what we, we dubbed the Ass Masters, but you know that's mm. that's up for debate. But I mean, this is a match. Watto had a very good, a good solid showing at best of Super Juniors. I mean, out of these four people, the biggest person coming into it, El Desperado had possibly the best run he's had yet in all his New Japan career with that banger mm-hmm. of a match against Hiromu and it's interesting to see that you know he's back to the mask you know because we've seen he's a handsome man under that so I would have liked him to have kept the mask off but th- this mm-hmm. match is going to be like never underestimate Taguchi he is resourceful he's clever yeah he can be quite goofy but when it's big match Taguchi if he's in the zone with Wato this this could be an outstanding match I don't even know what that means team one or eight I don't even I mean, I mean, they may as well just went with the Ass Masters, but it would be kind of almost sad to see them lose the tie belts because this Brado kind of has, even though he lost, he has kind of a bit of momentum as uh, like everybody's talking about that match he had with Taromu. But I think given the idea of like uh, establishing this new guy like with Master Water, you know, he's had a decent amount of time before getting his first piece goal. He's not been overly pushed because like, he had that loss to... Uh, Karamaro and James Tim, he didn't have he got some upset wins but it wasn't the highest scorer in the best Virginia so they've uh, pushed him but they've not overly done it with him and uh, having to get in the team with Taguchi and having also Tenzan in his corner, getting him maybe uh, with all these two more established veterans with him it's a good learning experience for him going forward Yeah I mean that's the I think that's a, a clever thing New Japan have done over the last year. Some of their biggest names that they've had come back from excursion have went for quite big targets, but without overdoing it, like when Jay White came back and went for Tana. Um, Lato's kind of like started this feud with Suzuki Gun. They're good, high profile feuds, but you're not aiming for something that's impossible to believe. Yeah. And, you know, to get you back in the tail picture, you know, we thought the big things were going to happen with him going into. Uh, 2020 when he got the win over Liger in that uh, 10-man tag and then also he and Rocky Romero were teaming it together to take on Rapongi 3K for the tag titles so it'll be interesting to see him back in the, the title which he's a multiple time junior uh, heavyweight and tag champ so it'll be interesting to see him in the which I do, so I do think that Watto and, and him are going to come out with the win Yeah, I, I think I'm putting my money on the Ass Masters to win because I think Desperado is going to have a bit of a singles run this year at some point. I can just feel it coming. Yeah, especially if Hiromu walks out as the junior heavyweight champion at the end of night two. A rematch between those two, maybe at noon beginning, would be a. Uh, I'd love to do that. I think, given that they do maybe any across multiple like shows, I think they could that game be a main event as it was at the best of Super Juniors. Yeah, I mean, if if not El Desperado, I think the other potential one that I'd like to see, kind of, and actually, I want to see him against Hiromu, but I also want to see him against El Desperado, um, because he had a good run, even if it was only the first round that he went out on, but uh, Leo Rush. Mm-hmm. I'd, like, I'd like to see more of him in the junior division. Yeah, it's over there. Uh, now, this next match, I definitely think it's going to be a big one for the Empire, because, you know, involved Jeff Goff, who's recently just been signed to uh, New Japan after about a wee while of being a free agent and he was yeah, touted by a couple of different companies but also given the fact that this is the never open weight title and uh, like you know how much New Japan loved to like 
pass that belt about. Uh, taking on Shingo Takagi, I think as much as I love Shingo, uh, Cobb's going to take that belt, you know, continue this reign of dominance he's been on recently. Uh, and also maybe that frees up Shingo to go after more uh, more belts. Maybe he can go after the IC belt at some point when they eventually separate the belts. So maybe he'll challenge uh, the, for the rights to hold the, the US belt or whatever. But I think it definitely frees up Shingo to do other things and it won't harm too much to lose the belt even though he's done so much for it in 2020. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I'm a huge, huge single fan. I'm an LIJ mark, let's face it. But I do see this being a big crowning moment for Cobb because I like this whole backstory they've built up through like the backstage stuff and interviews and that where Cobb's essentially turned around and went, the biggest problem I've had before is I was too friendly, I was too nice. It never done me any favours. So he's joined Osprey because it's the whole thing that the Empire is an idea. And Cobb has bought into this idea and, well, look at that. And instantly it's got him into contention for a title, pretty much. Yeah, and then he and Okada had a hell of a run in there. In World Tag League, they looked quite dominant, even though they didn't win. And I think they two will be like a future tag champs together at some point. But for now, I think to get him started, yeah, the Ember Belt's a good start. And, you know, I don't see the kind of the mix of opponents that, that Cobb could have for that belt. Uh Going forward, because uh, I think I think I care, but they never take on way more now than I did the same last year. I think a lot of that is down to Shingo. Yeah, yeah, Shingo's run with the the open weight belt last year was one of my favourites. Um, he just he looked good with it. You know, he's he's got a fantastic sort of in ring ability. He's got explosive power. He moves fast as a junior at points. He, he's just got some sort of it factor to him that to me he's got all the pieces of the puzzle which gets me invested in him mm-hmm. and I think it's a natural progression for him like he came in as a junior won the junior tag belts very briefly went out of hell around the best of super juniors and then moved into the heavyweight division been never weight champion and six man champion I think it's a natural thing I think as much as, as good as he's done for the belt he needs to be allowed to move on to other things because I definitely think he's a uh, a challenger for the, the heavyweight title at some point very soon. Uh, and actually, you just mentioned something there. Where are these six man belts? <laughs> I've not seen them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen them. Forgot about them. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, like the one title, like we talked about USL not being on here, like the, junior, the t- six man champs are around. I forgot about them. Like, I have a feeling they'll be involved in the round, but I think at least one of them, like either Goto or ECE, will be like go through to the four way. But uh, I completely forgot about the six-man builds. I don't know. Maybe they'll be on New Year's Dash at some point. Cause, like I do a little bit like to either do some sort of gauntlet or like some sort of you know, contender thing. You fight the six-man champs the next night on New Year's Dash. But maybe they don't want to do any sort of... I have, I have no idea why the six-man builds are on my edge. They must have just forgotten them as we have. Yeah. As soon as you mentioned six-man belts, there, I was like, hang on. There's something missing here. There we go. <laughs> I know, but like... A lot of it, I think that would be considered filler because I, for both of these uh, matches, especially the ones that involve in titles, there's some sort of story that's been building for uh, a length of time. Even the Kojima thing, like, is it had a bit of a challenge and it's got a bit of intrigue around it. Uh, I don't know what they could have done with the six man belts. They would just have to say, oh, look, here's three people. They're going to fight uh, Yoshihashi, Goto, and uh, Ishii, uh, Night 2. I think they'd 
I think they didn't want a, a, their match was just thrown together. They just want matches that have a purpose or a storyline going into it. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's at least every other match on this card has has had some build up, some lead up to it. So yeah, we're we're saying that we didn't get that's that's a good reason. There is no filler. <laughs> yeah, so there's no like filler, and I feel bad to never about the six man belt. It seemed like those were on the upkeep as well for a while until like Evil won the double gold and they had to basically vacate it and then they didn't know what they were doing with it for a while. And honestly, the reason I'm trying to give, I'm really talking at mass because I don't know why they haven't put them on. I think that is as good a as any that they want matches that aren't filler and have like a storyline reason for being, with the exception of the, the QBW match, that's more of an attraction than anything else. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that they're going to have to find somewhere for it to come. You know, we can, we can at least give them sort of the, like the excuse that last year, you know, a lot of things got kind of right off and that because of the pandemic. But now that things are starting to be back in that regular pattern from New Japan, I'd like to see them start to appear more often, even at the smaller shows. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll be on New Year's Dash or something like that. But I think after that weird, weird rounding route off the main track that we just went there, I think we just both agree that Jeff Cobb is, is going over here. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't see it going Shingo's way as much as I love to watch him go. It's Cobb's just a, an absolute force right now. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. Uh, we went to our final special singles match of uh, the night of Wrestle Kingdom. And I think this is, this is a match that I've mentioned to you probably should have, they should have had some sort of stipulation, maybe like a no DQ kind of thing because she's been full pelt since the end of a uh, World Tag League. They've been carrying this on through uh, the road two shows where like, Sonata wouldn't let go of the skull end and they were brawling after a, a multi-man tag match. It's uh, Evil and Sonata, the former tag team partners, going at it. You know, it's been built. We've been wanting this match since uh, Evil left LIG in the first place. We had got it at the people final, but that was seen more like the tournament implications or this feels like the kind of the the fallout truly from their partnership breaking up and Evil's portrayals finally all coming to the surface. Yeah, because I mean, like I was always like Sanada's always kept that kind of quiet stoicism, even when Evil went full out Arsenal on him back at the New Japan Cup. He kind of just shook it, off, shook it off, and you're like, "Really, you're going to let him get away with that?" And you know, the betrayal and just Sanada always seemed to keep his cool and. To me, sometimes that could hold him back a little bit. Is that sometimes he comes across too laid back, but this kind of fired up, ready to just get damn well aggressive. Sanada, that's mm-hmm. a fun. It's a, it's an element that I really enjoy. Yeah, I they, they think it comes as a result of like the team with Shingo, and they talk about how that's really helped Sanada come out of his shell and how it shows this whole new side of him. And that side is basically remembered. Oh, I, I remember what you did to me and the rest of Lij. And is now like going for revenge because as much as I loved the Hiromu match from Sengoku, or I remember when they announced it, I thought like if anybody from LIG other than Nigel's going to challenge Evil, why is it not Sanada that's coming out to confront them? And all that. And like you said, the idea of them being laid back and they've got a great match at the B Block final. But again, that was all about the, the storyline implications of like who's going to go through. They've both beaten Nigel, but now this is more about the two like, as former tag partners and. Kevin Kelly even said on commentary that he thinks that whoever wins between these two by unofficially becomes the number one contender to the double gold. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, you know, if if the double gold, depending on what way it goes, if it, if it was Naito, I think we've had enough of Evil and Naito. 
give us a break oh, for yeah. it. Please, God, no, no more of that. <laughs> but give us like a half year sabbatical from that. But Sonada has plenty of claim for going for the double gold or using this as some way to separate the gold. Saying, well, no, if you're not going to let me go for double, give me one of them. I'll go for the IC. Uh-huh. Definitely. Uh, I would like to see Sonada finally get a, a proper like, run as things have As much as I enjoy his team uh, uh, with Shingo, I think he's done to a team for a long time now that he needs that single tail. I think he's one of the only people in ILIJ who's not had a single tail yet because like, even Bushy got a, a weird, a brief run, uh, a plinking and mythic run as the junior heavyweight champion, but he's the only one that's not held a singles belt in New Japan, which is kind of sad. And you know, I would have thought that Osprey Okada would have been the kind of the unofficial number one contenders match uh, to see who fights the winner of the double gold. But, you know, I think if Osprey won, then that would kind of really G White winning because I don't think they'd want to do two heel faction leaders going at it. Yeah, and this is where it is starting to get unpredictable. But even when we talk about that, we all we, we, we both know New Year's Dash could completely throw every single one of our predictions on its head the next day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because, like, I do like the way they set up like matches, like people confronting each other, or someone gets a win over somebody, and that leads to setting up matches for new beginnings. Basically, uh, resetting the the year and like saying like this is the victory going forward, and like here's your idea for the next couple of months of where things are going to go, and there's always room for surprises. So going that going down to that, I think being the LA Jamar that you are and I am kind of as well, I think Sonata needs to win this. Uh, not just for the implications of potentially getting a title shot, but just because, like, to finally get that ultimate revenge against Evil for what he did way, way back when uh, the New Japan Cup final and when he left and joined Bullet Club. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Sonada needs this more. Um, Evil at least had a, a brief run with the double gold, which, despite it being kind of, to me, in hindsight, a little bit of a, a silly move from him doing that, at the mm-hmm. same time, you know. Evil can at least say he's had it, um, even if it was just like one successful defence, then a failed one. Sanada has always been close, but something's always held him back. There's only one piece missing, but this new, more aggressive Sanada could be what gets him some something around his waist, finally. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, I still think a stipulation I know DK thing would have made it very interesting, you know, but uh, who's to say that they won't like face each other like later on in the year, maybe if Sanada does get a title, they can, Evil can be a challenger for it, who knows. But uh, after this, like listed here as the junior heavyweight title match, we talked about that. Uh, met, I think it'll probably be Hiromu that goes on to face Ishimori. And uh, also, a weird thing for 2020 is that Ishimori is actually one of the best win-loss records, especially in singles matches out of anybody in New Japan. Yeah, it's one of those things that people actually sometimes almost forget about it because this is where I feel that like it's quite a, a sad thing for Ishimori is that the guy is super talented. He is incredible in the ring. But for some reason, he just always seems to become an afterthought at points. And I, I felt that showed during Best of Super Juniors when he pretty much didn't really headline any of the events. Yeah, I think that's... Except for the ones that he maybe lost like, against the uh, like, against Roma in night one. But I think that's part of the reason why you think Hiromu is going to go through because like, you can try and say like, well we're here on the big stage, I'm going to show why I am the, the top guy in the junior division but move on to the double gold title matches in night one it's going to be Naito versus Ibushi to determine 
uh, who will go through to face the guy who won Ibushi's right to challenge the one briefcase to White on night two. Jay White didn't want to wrestle night one. He's like, no, I'm going to take the night off. You do what you want, Naito. I'm going to be waiting on night two. I want the final shot that people see of Wrestle Kingdom 15 to be me holding up both titles. And I'm not quite sure who it's going to be who goes through between Naito and Ibushi. But I think regardless, uh, my first prediction, night two, Jay White fulfills that uh, prophecy that I just mentioned. Jay White walks out with both titles. Yeah, this is where I've been very torn. I've been humming and hawing and swaying about this for ages and my prediction is Ibushi's going to finally do what he's been, been saying for so long. I think Ibushi's finally going to get the double gold and he is going to absolutely annihilate Jay White on the second night. He is going to make it emphatic. See, for me, it feels like every all three of these guys need to win it, which makes it impossible to predict because like, you've got Ibushi who was robbed of his G1 because he was the first person ever to lose his G1 like, opportunity. Only to then have Naito say, like, I want to fight someone in night one, we'll have a fight. And so for me, he goes through all that and lose after he lost last year. And the, the idea of like Naito losing, like, like it's Naito to help cement his run as double champion, because uh, they've made a lot of mistakes with his, his title reign. I think he needs to go through it in night two. And then again, the idea of Jay White winning the briefcase and getting all that heat, I think... You want to really try to capitalise on it, he, you have him take the double gold. I also like how he's, he's customised the briefcase, because it's not like the white with a bit of blue and gold through it, like it was with Bushy. He's now got a black briefcase with a bit of red through it. He's uh, customised it. Yeah, he's made it, he's made it his own thing. And, you know, there was something about that kind of that shot at the end of the Road 2 shows where you've got Naito and Ibushi staring each other down, while Jay White stands in the background holding the double gold. Like, like mm. the master manipulator and it was a translation when it was Ibushi was saying to Naito let's go and make magic let's wrestle the way only we can and all I thought was oh my god someone's going to bloody die and then you got that like if Jay White does win you can use that as a kind of a thing to not help save whoever loses because like the idea of like well if Naito goes to like he used to be killed himself the night before against Ibushi and Jay White took advantage of that which I think that's why I said between this and the junior uh, title scene, I think this is the one that's more likely for a swerve and having Jay White go through. And like I think you can even tell a better story about Ibushi's kind of like him going a bit mental. Because like, we've seen those lightning like, where he goes to that weird place and like you see that like murder Ibushi, as we've mentioned before. The idea of Ibushi, like, after everything he went through last year, he comes to night one, one double goal, he finally achieves it. But then what's worse than not achieving it? Achieving it and then losing it the very next night to Jay White, and then that kind of maybe sets them off a bit more, and then say Sonada wins, and uh, goes on to fight Jay White, say at New Begin, uh, you can have another match at New Begin, a singles match between Naito and Ibushi, where they basically beat each other, the shit out of each other again. I basically went off on a fancy booking train, Grant, please stop me. <laughs> no, I mean, that's like, there's so many great ideas that can come out of this, and I mean, it doesn't matter who's involved. I'm a big fan of all three that are involved in double gold over the two nights. There isn't really any way I could honestly say that I'm going to be disappointed with it because I love and, Jay White is one of the best heels in the business right now. He is a heat magnet and the most astronomical of senses. Um, 
and his tensions within Bullet Club seem to have settled. But to me, it could go to it could go the way that Jay White does the prophecy, cements himself at the top. If he fails to capitalise on it, is it going to lead to dissent within the ranks, and is someone else going to try and usurp his throne? Uh, yeah, we're doing. Also, if Castles at one to stick out the, at the window because, like, you've got. I think before we mentioned the G One history show that, uh, like, Tanahashi was like only only people to win the to win his opportunity after winning the G One briefcase. But like, they can't throw that out the window because, like, technically, G uh, is the G One winner, but G White's the one holding the briefcase. So that whole statistic kind of goes like out the window. It doesn't really factor in that much. Yeah, and I mean, what, you, there's so many ways you can build up in it. Like the the way that Jay White actually won the briefcase was just downright cheating that the ref didn't see. So mm-hmm. like, I, I reckon, I, I, doesn't count. I reckon if a gets tonight too, I'm absolutely. I'd be shitting myself if I was Jay White. It's like, yeah, Bushy's had a tough match in the night one, but uh, this man is looking to kill you because I still remember when it all happened and Jay Jay had to keep running. From Ibushi because mm-hmm. he was going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's always he's also got Gade on the outside, which is remember who clearly listens to this podcast, as we have mentioned before. Uh, he's always getting our ideas, but as like main reason I mentioned, like Jay White maybe going on to face uh, Sanada because like remember this time, uh, remember at the beginning in twenty twenty, we had uh, he was in Osaka, Jay White versus. Sanada, this is when like Sanada was going through a bit of a losing streak, where like he'd lost to Zack Sabre Jr., he lost to Jay White, he was kind of in a slump, and the idea of like them coming back together a year later, a whole new Sanada going for the double gold against uh, Jay White, or maybe Jay White as a heel. That's why I think Jay White should win, because I think as a heel, he can get away with defending just one belt, and that's how you eventually separate the belts, because like, I feel like a broken record talking about that, but it's been a year eventually we need to think about separating these two belts. I think Jay White's saying like, oh, you're not going to, I'll give you an IC title shot and then getting an upset and getting being upset and losing the title. That's how you break them apart. Yeah, because to me, it is now that point where unify or separate them. And I know it's hard to separate them without having some sort of damage to them, but you can rebuild the credibility of them if it's booked mm. right after it. Yeah. Nothing in wrestling or nobody, I think, is is beyond being saved credibility wise with the proper booking. I don't think so. You can always do something like they never, they never built. I mentioned before, I didn't give a shit about it last year, but I give a shit about it now, and that's all down to good booking and good matches. And you could do that again with these belts. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It just takes a couple of good matches, uh, a nice run where the belt isn't being hot potatoed, and boom, everything is magic again. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely I mean to me separating Naito from the IC belt for a good long time would be very ideal for me now because it, it feels at some point like that that IC belt has got a magnet that's got that's got Naito on it and it's like you need to separate these two at some point because it's just been that long especially because Naito keeps saying about how much he bloody doesn't like that belt yeah because like, he won it in 2016 for the first time and so like He's becoming like Shinsuke Nakamura was, like, because I mentioned on the Nakamura show, when I think of Nakamura in New Japan, I think of him coming out with that belt around his, his waist. Uh, so, yeah, he needs to get away from, from that belt. And I think 
this has been the most coherent, like in terms of uh, predicting the, re- the outcome. But I think this is the best advert for how good the New Japan booking has been for a lot of these matches. Is that there's so many possibilities that we can't give a full and like definitive prediction for some of them. And it's a case of like, well, we can't predict sitting here and like pretend that we know better and throw our ideas. We just need to sit down on January fourth and fifth and watch the show and see how it unfolds. Yeah, and it's it's two absolutely amazing nights that I just cannot wait to be getting up nice and early with a cup of coffee and me being me, I'll be cracking all my beer to enjoy this first thing. Who'd ever thought New Japan would give me an excuse to drink beer at like eight in the morning, but here we go. Uh, it's, it's going to have live English commentary, which I always enjoy. You've got Kevin Kelly, Chris Charlton, and uh, Brocky Romero are going to be there. I know, like I said, like no filler, which is exciting. Uh, so I look forward to it. I hope you're all looking forward to it as well. And like, I know me and Grant can't wait for that. And I think it's quite uh, ironic also that uh, East Meets West episode 15 will be the episode covering Wrestle Kingdom 15. That's <laughs> quite funny. Everything's just lined up perfectly. And yeah, English commentary being live, which is a bonus for a lot of people. Uh, sadly, no Gino this year, so I wouldn't get to hear him shouting doki, the Doki Choki because that has become an absolute firm favourite of mine. <laughs> but, well, but he won't be in Japan, but he'll be where he's always been. He's in our hearts. Always. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, over the next episode, is like, it's technically just three nights we've got to talk about as, as opposed to uh, like a month's worth of rest we had to talk about when, tons of, when we're talking about uh, tournaments. But across these three nights, I've mentioned it when we did the uh, Risk Game of 14, that these three nights are the three, mo- three biggest nights in New Japan, and they still like give you as much to talk about as like covering like a month of G1 would. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's essentially Wrestle Kingdom as our conclusion to the season, you could almost say, and then mm-hmm. the season starts afresh the next night, and... We can we cannot predict New New Year's Dash because no one knows what's happening on it till the card gets announced when the show starts. That's the joy of it, and I think that's the the best thing they can do because I don't think no, if I want anyone, I want to be surprised. And uh, I hope you all join us for that episode when we talk about the fallout from both nights of Wrestle Kingdom and from New Year's Dash, which will set the stage for uh, the new beginning tour end of January, start of February, and we'll hopefully kick off. Uh, 2021 with a bang in New Japan and while they're all covered on East Meets West and you can find previous episodes of me and Grant uh, talking about New Japan on East Meets West in our back catalogue and all good Android podcasts and sites Anchor, Spotify, iTunes wherever you get your podcasts uh, remember to check out other feature shows that come out on a Tuesday the like the Shinsuke Nakamura show if you're into your Japanese resume keep that train going uh, had a show on tidings that's never broken up for our future of WE show is out now. And uh, coming up, we've got shows on Our Truth and uh, a couple of different shows about the Royal Rumble uh, throughout January. Also, check out shows like Saturday Draft Live that'll be coming back soon. And our ASSR Central show, which is basically a weekly news roundup of everything going on that week in wrestling. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where uh, we've got Quiz Showdown, the uh, Rumble Quiz edition. So we go up later in January. We've got the conspiracies with Dear Campbell and also the continuation of the Book It tournament, most recent one being uh, my co-host Grant McRobbie coming up short against uh, Stephen Wilson. <laughs> Just remind me of that. Thank you. <laughs> well, look, we have another thing in common. We both lost to Prick's name, Stephen. That's very true. 
pricks. <laughs> uh, well, I hope they don't listen to this. But uh, also follow us on Twitter at SuperHitsRetreat. Also, Twitter, uh, also Facebook and Instagram at SuperHitsRetreat as well. Join our Facebook community to get involved in the conversation. And I think I've done all the plugs I need to. We've worked out every, almost every possibility there could be for us in the 15. Grant, I don't think there's much left to do that and just wait and see what happens. So all we can do is wait and let's enjoy the ride and, you know, let, let us see what, what Joy's New Japan is going to bring us in the new year. Absolutely. I can put it by myself. Uh, we're at Robbie, I've been Scott McLeod and we'll just say goodbye, everybody. Sports Social Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.